Uh, good morning, Southwestern. If you have your Bible, if you will open it up, turn it on. Uh, if you are a hipster like my friend Dr. Queen, take out your scroll and unroll it. And we will be in Romans chapter 5 today, Romans chapter 5. How many of you are in your last semester of seminary? How many of you have been last semester? How about last year of seminary? I, I remember those years or that year like it was yesterday and you went through all the studies and then we left the seminary, left Fort Worth. I actually grew up in Fort Worth and we moved to pastor a church in Austin, Texas. You say, Lash, well, how did you know that it was God's will for you to leave here and go to Austin, Texas. Well, I knew that God wanted me to be a preacher, and there was one church that wanted me. And so I began saying, maybe that's God's will. You know, sometimes we make it a little bit more complicated than it really is. There was a church that wanted me, so I, I was going to go and pastor. And so we had a great year, great eight years there in Austin. And if you fast forward the clock, the Lord had called us to our next assignment, and we were packing up the house. In fact, we were two days away from leaving Austin. It was about one o'clock in the morning, and my wife, Stacy, said to me, can we go to our favorite breakfast place one more time before we leave town? I said, sure. We didn't have kids at the time. All we had was a couple dogs. And so we take off and we go to the Kirby Lane Cafe. Anybody ever been to Kirby Lane Cafe? Uh, amazing pancakes and great evangelism opportunities at Kirby Lane Cafe. And so we ate. And while we were eating, a massive thunderstorm rolled through Austin, Texas. Whenever we came back home, we had discovered that the thunderstorm had literally blown the gate open and my two Labrador retrievers were gone. Now, mind you, we were about to leave town. We had the, everything boxed up and the movers were about to come. I mean, this was a, a tragedy. And so we spent the entire night looking for our dogs. They were lost. And I remember the further we went into that night, the more hopeless we began to feel. Finally, whenever the sun was coming up, we were returning back to the house defeated. There we saw our two dogs walking down the street, and we were so uh, ecstatic to see them again. We gave them a stern talking to. It turns out they had been partying all night with Kail, and so they were in quite a bit of trouble, but uh, we got them back in, and, and everything was good. Now, remember a time in your life whenever you lost something, something that was of value to you, and you lost it. I want to talk to you today about one thing that you never want to lose. If you lose this, then life loses its joy. You will be shackled to temporary things that don't really matter in life. You lose this, your spiritual growth will stagnate. Your heart will become angry and apathetic. You will be aloof towards the things of the Lord. You lose this, and ministry will cease to be about the expansion of God's kingdom, and instead, it will be about the maintenance of your own kingdom. Guess what I'm talking about? Just take a moment, and if you're sitting next to someone, take a guess as to what I might be referring to. Go ahead. 
I'm referring to hope, specifically hope in the glory of God. Look with me to Romans 5 and verse 1. The Bible says, therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice, here's, here's our thought here, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So our passage begins with the word therefore, and I'm sure you've heard that whenever you see the word therefore in scripture, you need to stop and ask what it's there for. He is summarizing what he has been talking about throughout the first four chapters of the book, and he gives us five huge theological truths here. Number one, Believers have been declared righteous by faith. Number two, believers have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Three, believers have obtained access to grace through Jesus. Four, believers stand in grace rather than dying in sin. And five, Believers rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. You see, the story of salvation is a story of hope. In my sin, I was at war with God. I was trapped in my flesh. I was a slave to the temporal. From dust I came, to dust I shall return. But then God, in his great love, did something that I could never do. God sent his son. And his son lived the life that I could never live. And his son was betrayed, and he was rejected, and he was crucified. But whenever he died upon the cross, it was not just the death of a great teacher who had run afoul with the mighty Roman Empire when he died upon the cross. It was an atoning death as he died for my sins and yours. And there the heavenly father poured out his wrath upon his son, and his son died for our sins, but death could not contain him. He overcame death. And he says to you and he says to me that whosoever believes in me shall not perish but have everlasting life. You see, one of the great distinctions of the message of our Lord is he doesn't just call us to follow these sets of teachings. He calls us to believe in him. And whenever we believe in him, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then we have the power and the ability to follow the teachings of our Holy Lord. God has done something that we could never do for ourselves. There is no greater call than the call of hope, the call of salvation. Christ calls me to place my faith, my hope in him, to believe in him as Savior and Lord. And this call is so powerful because it is not only sufficient for all, it is available for all. It transcends time, geography, culture. It doesn't care what color your skin is 
Whether you grew up rich or poor, whether you grew up in the bars or whether you grew up in church, Jesus calls us to place our faith in him and he brings forgiveness to our past, purpose to our present, and hope for our future. Can I get a Leo Day? Hallelujah! Yeah, that was pretty weak. They kind of gave the golf clap there, didn't they, Dr. Day? Man, all right. Well, church, can I get a hallelujah? There we go. All right. Now, let me be clear here. I am talking about a hope that is found in the glory of God. This is the hope that we are told that we are to rejoice in this hope. This is real hope. This is eternal hope. This is sovereign hope. Now, a lot of people in a lot of different venues throw out the, the word hope these days. You give them a dollar, and they'll give you some hope and change. But sometimes what they are giving to you is false hope. It's not real. This is the beginning point of the semester. And some of you all are taking systematic theology with my friend, Dr. Malcolm Yarnell. And you think that you may make an A. That's an example of false hope. <laughs> That's not going to happen. He puts it out there on the syllabus to kind of reel you in, but it's not going to happen. Very unlikely. False hope. Sometimes we have temporary hope. Last week began the college football season. Do you know that we have five Texas teams in the top 25? I bet I could get a hallelujah on that. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Yeah. And so those of you that are fans of those teams, you have hope. You have hope for an undefeated season. But we also have some brothers in this room from the north and some brothers from the east, those that root for the Sooners and the Tigers that would tell us, don't get too excited, my friend, because what you have is temporary hope. And as the weeks go by, your team's going to lose as well. And then sometimes people offer us a non-guaranteed hope. And I understand this. Whenever you get married, you have hopes. You have hopes that you will have more health than sickness. You have hopes that you will experience more better than worse. You have hopes that you will be richer rather than poorer. But all of that is non-guaranteed hope. You have love. You have thoughts for the future. But there's no guarantee. But the Bible tells us to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And that kind of hope allows us to enjoy the moment, even though the moment is not very enjoyable. God calls us to a real hope. It's not a false hope. And in the end, it will in no way prove disappointing or lacking. I had a friend today step into glory. And one of the things that you experience as a minister is you often walk through those last days with people. 
I have yet to come to the end of life with someone and have them say, my greatest regret is that I had my faith in God. My greatest regret is that I placed my hope in Jesus Christ. No, whenever it reaches, when you reach the end of life, what people hang on to is that hope. They hang on to that faith because it's the kind of hope that doesn't disappoint. It's real hope. God offers us eternal hope, the hope that he extends to us outlasts the 100-year window that we call life here on earth. It's ultimately fully experienced in heaven. And until you're really able to grasp the hope of heaven, you're not free to truly live here on earth. And the hope that God offers us is also guaranteed hope. Our hope has been guaranteed by the blood of Christ. And through his atoning death and through his resurrection, he has demonstrated that our hope is absolutely secure in Christ. This is heavenly hope. It's the kind of hope that changes you. It does more than modify your behavior. It transforms your heart. It's a heavenly hope that allows you to rejoice even when the earthly hopes begin to fade. But now there's a problem. You're not yet in heaven. And we live in a earth, live on an earth that can be dark. It can be full of great injustice. We live in a earth where everybody and everything has been stained by sin. And so we experience here in this realm affliction. Look at verse 3. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions. Because we know that affliction produces endurance, and endurance produces proven character. And proven character produces, there's our word again, hope. One of the biggest challenges that you face in ministry is there are so many people that will be in your church or are in your church who are spiritually stagnant. And if you dig down deep, you'll find that they are angry, Often something happened that made them angry and they go through life with a quiet desperation, frequently depressed. And if you begin to unpackage their understanding of hope, the reality is, is that it's purely earthly. So vital to your skill set is the ability to speak biblical hope the hope of the glory of God to people who have been served all their life false hope by the darkness and pain of our times. You have to develop that in your skill set because you will have person after person sitting in your congregation who is spiritually stagnant because something happened, they got hurt, they got angry, all they have is earthly hope. Nobody's ever taught them to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And this is going to be difficult because you have to teach this hope while at the same time going through pain and frustration. Here at 
Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to teach you and train you to leave. You're not supposed to stay here all your life. You are passing through, and we hope that one day you will leave. We love you, but you need to leave eventually. And when you leave, uh, we hope that you have been equipped theologically. We hope that you are equipped with the necessary tools for ministry. And we also hope that you are equipped with big dreams, with a vision for what God can do through his church, with a vision of having your life be a part of something that is so much bigger than you, your life being a part of the work of God, with a vision of seeing God do some things that drops your jaws and causes you to stand in amazement and say, God is good, this is the glory of God. But as you go out into that church, very quickly you will meet Deacon Buck. And Deacon Buck will come to you and say, preacher, I'm upset with you. And as he talks to you, you'll find out he's upset because you preached past noon. You dared change the worship order or you led the wrong people to Christ. And then you'll encounter the building and grounds team at their meeting. They are frantic because the church hasn't saved any money to replace the air conditioner that hasn't even gone out yet. I always wonder why building and grounds teams get so worried about money for replacing air conditioners. In Texas, you can raise that money in one week. It's easy to raise money for air conditioners in Texas. I mean, you don't have to save for that. Whenever it goes out, you just let them go one week, take an offering, the money's there. <laughs> you can't do that, you need to come back to seminary, right? <laughs> And then there's Sister Bernita, and she's upset because she had a root canal this morning and you didn't come hold her hand. And then you have the finance team who wants Starbucks quality coffee for uh, Folgers prices. And they're all upset because people want better quality coffee in Sunday school. And then you go home after all this, and your wife is struggling because she's trying to raise that three-year-old that God blessed with your personality. And she's struggling. And it seems as though you just can't seem to please anybody. You left seminary with these big dreams and these big hopes, and, and this is what, what it's all about. Now, here's a question for you. How does God build our faith? Is there an essential oil for it? Maybe there's a YouTube video. And Google it, build your faith, and YouTube video, and you can watch that, and then your faith can grow. Faith grows when it rejoices in hopes, in hope, when it is patient in affliction and persistent in prayer. You see, what you may not realize is Deacon Buck is building within you endurance, and as you go through that affliction, that endurance is building within you character, and that is all leading you to hope. The only way that you can rejoice in your afflictions is to have a hope 
that transcends the affliction. In ministry, you're going to face a lot of temptation. Our president talked about some of this yesterday. But the temptation often looks a bit different than you imagined. In ministry, we face the temptation to abandon the sufficiency of the Bible in our preaching and settle for self-help talks with a twist of Jesus. We face the temptation to abandon hope in the glory of God and settle for a nice little manageable church that is completely void of risk. We face the temptation to abandon trust in the transforming power of the Holy Spirit and instead put your trust in your coolness. I'll be cool enough to draw a crowd. I'll get me some skinny jeans. I'll get a fancy haircut like Kiker. And then the masses will come because I'm so cool. And there's a temptation to abandon those things which are sacred, those things which are true, those things which are of God. And please, whatever you do, don't lose your hope in the glory of God. Because when you lose your hope, you will lead people to a false hope and a disappointing faith that fades in affliction. Verse five, talking about Godly hope says this hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. You see, here's what makes this so challenging. Until your heart is full of eternal hope. You are unable to rejoice in the affliction. And so you have to reach this point where you're able to look beyond the circumstances and see the hope of the glory of God. But when you stand in that hospital room and the person that you love dies, when your world falls apart, when your child gets hurt, it's very difficult to feel anything else but pain and disappointment. It's very difficult to escape the afflictions of this world. And in your own ability, I would submit to you, you can't. It is in those moments of pain that the Holy Spirit opens your heart and he pours the love of God into your soul. And even though you don't understand it all, you rejoice, you endure, and you find rest in the hope of the glory of God. It was a beautiful summer night in the Lincoln National Forest. My wife, Stacy, we had taken our two little girls that are sitting down here to the mountains to see Gigi and Grandy. Two nights earlier, Stacy had called me back to the back of the house, and I walked back there, and she looked at me and said, 
I'm pregnant. I looked at her and said, how'd that happen? She just kind of stared at me with pity. The reason why I asked that question was because in our story for 10 years, we prayed for children. And then the Lord blessed us with two beautiful little girls. And then we had another one on the way. But on Christmas Eve, we had gone through the pain that some of you have faced as well, the pain of a miscarriage. Our doctor had told us, enjoy your family. It was nice to meet you. The translation from the doctor was, you're done. You're through. And now, totally unexpected, we had a wonderful surprise but we were also a little bit shocked. And so all the way in the drive, we were just kind of in this numb, shocked state. We hadn't told anybody. It was just between my wife and me, and we weren't going to really broadcast it. We weren't going to Facebook it or anything like that. It was too early. And then as we got to Gigi and Grandy's house, and we were enjoying time there with family, there began to be some troubling signs. And so... We had some conversations in the back room, and we were concerned that once again we were going to go through the pain and the disappointment of losing a pregnancy, a child. So that night, I, I needed some air. I needed to go for a walk. I needed to just spend time talking to my Lord. I would imagine you've been there before yourself. My heart was full. It was full of a great uncertainty. I remember that walk because there were a couple of moments on that, during that journey that I'll never forget. One, there was a moment where I realized that I love. I love this little baby. And then there was a moment where I understood that there was nothing I could do. It was so early in the pregnancy, there was nothing the medical community could even do. So I did the one thing that I could do. I surrendered to my Lord, and I placed my hope in Him. I'd been reading Romans chapter 12. In Romans 12, 12, there's a verse of Scripture that if you break it down, really summarizes what we've looked at today. Paul writes there, rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. And so that evening, God did not give me all the answers that I wanted, but he did open my heart. And the Holy Spirit poured God's love into my heart. I started returning back to the house, and I was different whenever I returned. My wife was out in the street, and she called to me and said, come here, come here, come here, you're missing it. And so I jogged up to the house, and there was a deer that was literally eating apples out of my little girl's hand. And I just smiled big. It was one of those moments where I was just savoring life and taking it in, even though there was so much uncertainty, because I had the realization that no matter what happens, it will be okay. Because my hope is in the glory of God. You say, well, what happened, Lash? 
In this case, the baby was born. His name's Bennett. He's three years old now. He's over in the child care center wreaking havoc because God's blessed him with my personality. It's wonderful. I don't know your life script. I don't know the pain that you may have gone through. I don't know exactly what you're facing today. But I do know this. The Lord has said, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Would you be so kind as to bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for each of these students, these professors, these individuals that come here to chapel today. I'm also aware that behind our smiles and behind our busy schedules, there is often pain and disappointment. And Lord, I pray that today you will bless us with the ability to look beyond our circumstances, to go higher than the earthly hope that is offered to us and see the heavenly hope And I pray, Father, that as we see that heavenly hope, it will bring into our lives a great liberation that frees us to rejoice in your glory, that frees us to move towards endurance and to demonstrate character even in the midst of affliction. I pray, Father, that you will also empower those that are in this room that as they go out into places of ministry leadership and they run into people who have found themselves spiritually stagnant because of pain and disappointment, because all they've ever been offered throughout their life is temporal earthly hope, I pray, Father, that you will empower us to speak eternal hope into their lives and that we will see many, many transformed through the power and love of your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father. Thank you so much for the hope that we have in the glory of God. It's in his name we pray. Amen.